Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisela. Hello, welcome to Business as Unusual. Today, I'm chatting with Rachel Duncan, the founder of Rachel Duncan Therapy and the Money Healing Club. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'll tease folks a little bit. I met Rachel at a business development community coaching call or presentation, and I just love the idea of money healing. Like I feel like so many of us need that. So I'm really excited to to dig into that with you a little bit. Before we do, what's the last thing that you did for fun? Mm, just pure fun. Mm. My husband and I went to a comedy show a few weeks ago. Like really the first like show we've been to in I call now the aftertimes. Someone I've been following on social media and he's doing a tour and we just went and we went with another couple and it just, it felt like back in your bones again, just really funny. <laughs> and just, yeah, being in a comedy club, it was just pure enjoyment. I love comedy. I had forgotten that I loved it. And then I think it was a Netflix specials and I started mm-hmm. wait a minute, I used to love comedies. I still I feel like it's- stand-up is really just having such a great moment right now. I think there's a lot of really great voices and a lot of people organically getting traction online, which I just love. That like yeah. the people have spoken that we want to hear more of what you have to say. And it happens to be funny. I just feel like a lot of people who are doing comedy right now really have something to say. It's not just about bits and jokes. It's true. Comedy can be a way to get at the heart of difficult truths. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of those to choose from these days. So it really are. So it was a really fun to yeah. go out and about. And the club had fried pickles, which is one of my favorite unusual foods. Mine too. But really? Oh my gosh. Yes. And people always look at me so funny. But I'm like, oh, you have fried pickles. What is happening? I never I, eat fried food. But if there's fried pickles, yeah. I cannot resist it. I have a rule. If it's on the menu, I order it. Because like he just not many places order it. And the couple we were with were like, what is this? And of course, they loved it. Like, right. Then welcome. they try it and they're like, you're it welcome. is delicious. Thank you. <laughs> That's good to know. Yeah. Another pickle lover. Love it. At any rate. So in addition to the love of fried pickles, stand-up comedy <laughs> and business as unusual, mm-hmm. let's talk about what you're up to. You're, you recently have changed the name of your business. So we're going to mm-hmm. refer to it. You as French, Rachel Duncan Therapy. But talk a little mm-hmm. bit about both of those pieces of what you're up to. Yeah, so I am a financial therapist. And what that means, I come from a mental health background. And financial therapy is a newer field. It's a niche. And people either come from the mental health world or the financial world and do some cross-training. So if you hear someone say, I'm a financial therapist, it's worth saying, well, okay, what, how did you get there? Because there's sort of two camps you could get to it. So I come from a very therapeutic place. And I've always loved business and money. I'm the youngest in my family. And all of my play acting was always about making little businesses. I love saving my money and tracking my money. And I'm, when I walk into any business, I'm, my gears are turning like, okay, they charge that. And they must have set that many customers. Then like, what do you think their overhead is? So I don't know. Like my, no one in my family is like this. Like it does feel like something I was born with. 
I wouldn't say I was ever really taught. It's just this, I don't know, natural inclination I always had. And, and so because of those skills and those interests, before I went to grad school for therapy, I, you know, I did small business management. I always loved administrative work, mm-hmm. which is a blessing and a curse. I, I easily got jobs, but I was always the assistant. And I was always like the best assistant and really good. Every job I ever had, except at a restaurant, I ended up running the books. Because you're trustworthy and you're comfortable with money and you run the books. So I learned a lot. And when I was in my late 20s, really felt, okay, I'm going to continue to be someone's assistant for the rest of my life if I don't make a big move. And there just weren't a lot of maps for me. Now, thinking back, I could see so many places I could have gone. But at the time, I, I just, I didn't see a lot of options. And doing a lot of thinking about soul searching about the parts of my day that I really loved. And I was like the office mom. I was Joan in Mad Men. Like I was Joan. And thinking through the parts of my job I really loved is actually when my employees would come to me with like problems or needed to take some time off and felt like I was a really safe person to confide in. And I've also just been a lifer for going to therapy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like I've always been very prone to therapy. It's like, actually, it's these tender moments and being able to talk about this difficult stuff I really love. So I went to grad school. So anyway, I'm telling you my whole life story, right? Buckle in. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and so then I went to grad school and it really was a big pivot. Got out of the admin stance, did grad school, which was just soul searching and incredible and difficult and all of that stuff. But I always felt a little bit of not quite the therapy fit. Or rather, I felt like I was a good therapist, but I didn't feel like I was like the other therapists. And I went to a school or the program I was in integrated art therapy with mental health counseling because also I've always loved the creative arts. It's always been a passion of mine. But it's like I was never quite woo-woo enough. Mm-hmm. So I always felt a little bit out of joint. And after finishing grad school, I needed to take some time on first and family stuff. And so it's interesting. Like I never, I didn't quite follow the path of the other therapists of getting the agency job or doing that and getting licensed and maybe going on to private practice later. That's the path that's set for you. And I ended up like running group. Then I kept getting business work. Like, I'm a therapist, but sure. Yeah. Help me start my nonprofit or help me upgrade my bookkeeping. And I was still making more money with that than I ever was with therapy. Mm. So I was certain like, okay, I need to look at the writing on the wall. And then pandemic hit. I had to close down all the therapy stuff. In. Mm. And at some point mid pandemic, I think NPR had an article or a news program about financial therapy. And I had two completely separate friends call me and say, I heard about this thing called financial therapy. I think this is you. And it was such getting that feedback from my community was huge because I didn't think I could. I always thought these were two completely competing parts of my life. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I could talk about business and money in the therapy room. Like I didn't know it was allowed because. That was never a part of the training. Right. I kind of ad hoc, like I'm the friend in my friend group that like people come to with financial questions or adulting mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So when I was like, okay, I think I'm going to do this. And I just started looking for programs, following other people who are doing this stuff and learning about financial therapy. It all just, I don't even want to say snowball. It was like an avalanche. Like once mm-hmm. I said I'm doing this, which was about two years ago, it just took off. And in so many ways, we can talk about that later. But that's how this whole thing came to be. That's 
That really points that you're on the right track, that both it's good for you and it's also a service that people really do need. I, I've noticed there's been a lot of movement in career work in general to talk more about salaries and post them because so much of like wage inequity has to do with people not actually knowing. And I'm curious if there's any aspect of that's part of what financial therapy is, or is it more, do you encourage people to move towards healthy dynamics or do you more take in where they're at in a personal way, or is it just all of it or nothing that I'm saying at all? Right. It is client by client. It's where they're at. I look at four domains. So we can do four things with money. We can make money, we can spend money, we can borrow money, and we can save money. Investing is in there too, but where my clients are at, that's the other four domains need to be taken care of first. Like I work with clients that like make a good income, but have feel like they really are out of control with their spending or have controlled their spending, but have are under earners and are have a lot of debt. So I'm always looking at these four components and how it works out. And never is it that all four are bad. Usually, it's, oh, you have the income side of this equation sorted out. So let's look at that. So that's where the kind of one-on-one catering comes in, where not everyone has the same financial profile. So absolutely. Like, I love bringing career counseling into my work. Like, I always send me your resume. Like, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a resume writer, but I'm pretty good at this stuff. I did a lot of office management. So I definitely help my clients with resumes. I mean, basically, I will do whatever it takes to help you make this equation work out. I mean, some of my clients are like, I'm actually afraid to make more money because I don't know what I'll do with it. I don't trust myself. I think I'll spend it all. Mm-hmm. So it's okay. Then we're going to focus on the spending part of your life. Then what's so powerful when we focus on the income stuff, you have a plan where that income is going to go. Right. Everyone just has, it, these are all different levers to pull. So it just depends where they're at. Sometimes the income side of the equation is, that's fine. That's set. And all the other parts. Mm-hmm. But just that, that just depends. But Always so often topics of your worth. Yeah. Of how to stand up for your value, how to communicate with maybe your employers. How do you pivot work? How do you think about all that and think about I'm a person who deserves to be paid very well for what they do? And that takes that's the therapy part. Mm. I feel I was both raised in a expectation that you shouldn't talk about money. Like that was it's impolite. Mm-hmm. which I feel is really unhealthy and it doesn't change. That's how I was raised and trained. So it's something I've had to learn to work through. And also the, as Americans, I feel like we, we have some interesting ways that we interpret value and equate value financially that are somewhat counterproductive to mm-hmm. fulfillment. Do you feel like that's something that you also have observed or seen or my super off book? Definitely. Every person who comes to me, I think it's very common. You know, my parents never taught me anything. Like I couldn't talk about it. So many of my clients have said, you're the only one who knows about my financial picture. So it's a real problem here that we all need to, inter- like we all interface with money. I wouldn't even think daily, hourly in some way or another. And it's in this closed box that like, oh, am I supposed to know how to do this? Am I supposed to know? And so we're looking around for clues and cues from our social community. And that's where things can get really difficult because the most outward, like the most obvious financial behavior any of us have is how we spend. Mm -hmm. But like I said before, it's one of four things. Right. And the other three things are really quiet. Like you don't really know what someone makes. You don't know how they're saving. You don't know how they're borrowing. But we do see what they're buying. 
And so it's like, it, we only see the quarter of this. And so that's okay. If I'm making my, if I'm making my decisions based on what I just see other people doing, like I should be able to afford that. It's not taking into, you, you don't know their whole picture. And then, you know, so it, it, it just folds in on itself or nobody really knows what they're doing. Or so. I shouldn't say nobody. Very few people do. And everyone kind of feels like they're faking it. And that's some of the difficulty. I think the difficult feelings are everyone thinks I have it together and I really don't. And that's a deep, dark secret. And that's often a conversation we have. It's, it's hard when your outsides don't match your insides and your insides don't match your outsides. You feel out of alignment. Yeah. It's I a, lost your question. I'm so sorry. No, that was perfect. I had a family member who was an accountant most of my life. And one of the things they told me is that because they were talking to people about their business and personal money all the time, yeah. it was an oddly intimate relationship because exactly what you said. Like some people don't even tell their spouses what they're doing. And she had stories, which I won't share because they're hers. They're really hilarious of the things that because people were talking to her about money, that they also felt they could talk about. <laughs> she was like not a financial therapist, she's an accountant. But she's like, mm-hmm. I don't need to know that. Thank you. <laughs> but it's just for so many people, once they broke past that barrier or boundary of talking about it, I think it was maybe a relief. Like somebody yes. here will will actually not judge me, but actually help me manage this process. And that was just an accountant. So I can imagine yeah. someone who's coming to it from this place with the background of therapy and also the perspective of providing that as a support. That has to really create a deep sense of relief, I would say, for people. Yeah. There's relief. I really, you know, on the whole, I think people are really eager to finally share this with somebody and bracing for Im- impact. Oh, gosh, I'm going to be judged or oh, this really is. This really is a mess. So I'm going to be judged for it. And I just think it's always reasonable how you got where you are. And mm-hmm. I'm always going to normalize that and see you as a human being doing the best you can. And that's where, because our financial lives can be traumatic and we might have financial trauma, which is the whole topic on its own. How we heal from trauma is by gradually bringing up the traumatic topic and feeling safe at the same time. Yeah. So your brain's like, oh, I can bring that up and feel safe and loved and accepted. That, mm-hmm. that is how the trauma starts healing. That's the healing aspect that can come when we bring about really any difficult topic in mm-hmm. the context of love and compassion in a relationship. Also, why people only go so far, say, reading a book or trying to do it on their own or trying to bootstrap. Like, it's not an information problem. It's, right. It's not a lack of information. It is, from my perspective... It's a relational problem, not an information problem. And because we're not relating to each other about this, we're not feeling like safe in our bodies around this topic. Maybe we've been put down or we feel helpless. And there's so many things that can lead to that. But just having a safe, compassionate, loving, confidential relationship, that and this healing just starts happening. It's really remarkable. Yeah. When I've seen situations where It's clear to me, both in my own life and people I know, where they spend money the way I will often snack. I don't tend to impulsively spend money, but I I definitely will eat when I'm not hungry because there's something about food that makes me feel good. And so I think that's such a powerful thing. I'm not going to be judged. I mean, someone's going to help work out that that relationship to what I'm what am I looking for with this purchase or how do I manage that experience for myself and be able to be even just intentional about it can be helpful. Oh, there are so many parallels with money and food. 
Oh my goodness. That the diet cycle and the budget cycle, Mm -hmm. the addiction, the addictive qualities of both of these things, and the fact that even if you really try to heal or try to get control of this thing, you feel like you have no control over, you have to interface with it every day. You can't just stop eating. You can't just stop interfacing with money. And so they have so many parallels. And it's actually in the membership that I run, somebody shared the diet cycle diagram, which mimics the addiction cycle diagram, which mimics Mm -hmm. the budget cycle diagram, which is you have this moment, I need to get it together. You're like, I'm going to, this is it. I'm going to read that book. I'm going to get that budget or download that app. You get maybe really into it. I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm not going to eat sugar, whatever it is. I'm really going to get clean. I'm going to do it this time. And maybe you have some success or you feel good and you get started. And then a life event happens or it's just so rigid that it hasn't allowed for any flexibility. And while you're trying to maintain it, it's getting harder and harder to maintain because you're like, there's so much strain. And, and also if you're doing it alone. And then it falls apart and that's relapse, right? Where it's the F in it and blow many hundreds of dollars at Target and didn't need to. Or you, you bid junk food or you go back to your substance and then that's relapse. And then you feel like I can't do this. I failed. I'm a failure. And yeah. so what I try to prepare my clients for is I teach this diagram and we say, we are going to plan for relapse. It will happen. Right. And how we grow from addiction is actually to learn from each cycle. We anticipate relapse happening. We put in some safeguards around it, knowing that it's going to happen. Like we just, we aren't consistent beings. Like Mm -hmm. to say that, oh, it's going to be the same consistency. It just, it feels so rigid to me and it doesn't feel human and it doesn't feel sustainable. So I come from much more of an inside out approach where, hey, you're going to have some bad days Or an external factor that you had no control over is going to happen and you're going to want to go back to that. Let's A, plan for it and B, let's assume it's going to happen and plan for how you're going to recover still with love and compassion. And what happens is the cycle gets less and less intense every time you go around. You learn about yourself. You almost watch yourself like, oh, I felt that relapse starting to creep up. But then I like sat down and really wanted to love myself about that. Oh. That is when it's happening. That's it's almost like it has nothing to do with the money at that point. It has to do with what's my go-to for soothing from the outside because my insides feel really scary. Mm-hmm. And so I these, all of these, the, the money, the food, substances, they're soothing. It's mm-hmm. a way to regulate when you can't regulate yourself. Yeah. Right? So... My number one, I do want to know the whole financial picture. That's very relieving to people. I really want to talk about self-care. We really talk about regulating how it feels safe in your body. The money stuff starts to really make sense and it feels smaller. It doesn't feel like so overwhelming when you feel better and safer in your body. Yeah, I really, I can, like, I can relate to that in terms of a, a long time ago, I recognized that I would talk to someone that I had a difficult relationship with. And I had one ice cream and it was almost immediate and not before. Like beforehand, it was like, oh, I just had a salad or whatever. And then I talked to them and I'm like, man, I really want to go get some ice cream. And when I noticed, I was like, I wonder if what I want is ice cream. Maybe I'm feeling stressed out and I need to feel that. Mm -hmm. Or I could avoid it. That's an option. But but then I'm like denying myself and a little Mm -hmm. part of me is going to be like, this is uncomfortable. And it's. 
you know, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, and it's different for everybody, but there are some really similar patterns and consumption is soothing and we're marketed for it to be soothing. So I really bring in, I really come from like a social justice, like systemic perspective too. Like I don't see individual failings. None of this stuff is a moral fail. Right. If you feel like just underwater with debt, I gotta say the path was paved for you to get. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always bringing that around too. Like the things were marketed. Oh, you deserve this. The treat yourself culture that's speaking to our need to self-soothe. And these products are marketed to us as oh, this is the key. And maybe it is. I'm not saying it's not that it's all bad, but it's still an outside in thing. Oh, I need that thing. And it stimulates our dopamine response, which is a seeking behavior. And then we get it and it's a letdown, like mm-hmm. actually in the pursuit that the satisfaction is coming from and not necessarily having the thing. Oh, it was just about getting the thing. It's not that it's actually helpful. You probably know this, but I'll share this for, for the listeners because I found this to be so fascinating with the dopamine cycle where it explain the addiction cycle explains some of the more outrageous things that we see come across like news headlines. Because being 100% right is the least amount of dopamine. It's if you're 75% or 25% right, that's the most amount of dopamine. And then 50% is middle ground. And they've they've done these little studies on people. And it's so you'd think, because I have a friend, he's hilarious. We love the Loki show. And there's this moment in the show where Loki says, I love to be right. And it says it with this passion. And I like my friend, I'm like, that's you right there. And they just got this look on their face. And I was like, so that must be highly rewarding. But no, like the science is in that it's not the most rewarding thing that seeking and actually being wrong a certain amount of times is part of what creates that reward cycle. So that's why people don't get turned off when they find out that they were wrong about it, which, like you said, we're not consistent, but we like to think we are. So you're like, what? this doesn't make any sense, but this is how it all goes. I was going to ask you about the money club. I had one other thing yeah. you were talking. Oh, and that's the other thing I was like, we're talking to you about the whole reason I do this podcast is because of that, that the majority of what comes easily to your door in the biggest megaphone possible is about telling you about something you lack as a parent mm-hmm. or a person or a man or a woman or a partner or <laughs> in your yeah. job and then telling you that this thing that you could buy from them, that's going to fix it. I purchase things that are very helpful to me. But it's sure. not the same as they, you're lacking and therefore we'll fix you with you give us money. They talk about pain points. Literally, yeah. there's so much science. And there, I think it was Sigmund Freud's nephew oh. really developed what marketing is. Can we take all of this information about the ego and the id and translate that into advertising? And it's been, we've had a century of incredibly targeted, manipulative, and thereby successful consumerism. Uh-huh. And because it speaks to, we all are feeling a little lacking, or we all have a bit of that existential situation going on. Like you said, I'm 75% there that we're seeking creatures. And so then this marketing speaks to the seeking nature of that yeah. we all feel is like a deep, dark secret, but it's actually very well studied, what right. very well understood from the marketing and advertising standpoint. I love that. Did you watch The Century of the Self where they talked about, yeah, that yeah. was revealing. Yeah. And yes, it's weird. So I have a condition called aphantasia, which means I can't make images in my mind. 
So a lot of visual manipulation doesn't work on me in the same way because it's not available to me. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. better, just different. And I know that there are ways that marketing affects me. And when I found out about aphantasia, I was like, oh, this is interesting because it got more of a sense of, oh, I see why these are things that I just don't, they don't draw me in because I don't have the cues that like when someone who's more visual gets the image, there's this whole other thing that comes with it. And I'm really Mm -hmm. just seeing what's there. It's all Mm -hmm. that's available Mm -hmm. to me. So I feel like I've been in a certain way given a little bit of a shield from some of it. And I still find it to be overwhelming. I left television a long time ago because of the advertising and just the ways that it affected my sense of being in peace and and before streaming was a thing it was like mostly using digital stuff and then when the advertising started creeping back in I felt the difference suddenly I was like I just don't I don't know I guess I'm just not quite right like I need to do I'm not a girl enough or girl boss or whatever it is and so Mm -hmm. it's just really interesting to see how easily that comes in to your thinking Mm -hmm. from casual engagement and it, i think it comes from two things so it comes from like this feeling like ooh, i'm actually not perfect or i'm not quite enough and that seeking behavior and also this desire to connect we are so social we are so tribal like we need to look like the people around us because we it's a biological urge for safety if i look like you if i'm behaving like you then you'll protect me then i will be accepted and we'll all stand up stick together mm-hmm. and i will feel safer so there's such a yearning for connection and I think advertisers, I think, also rely on that. You look like your friends. I've seen it. And I'm probably probably to this, too. But you see a group of people walk down the street and they're all basically wearing the same outfit. And you can tell that they're close friends. It's really interesting. It's so subconscious. It's so biological to a desire to look like the ones around you. And there's I think it's safety seeking. There's actually mm-hmm. some very deep stuff going on about. It's actually dangerous to be different in our immediate circle. Even if you're a counterculture person, you're still going to find your other counterculture people because that's a lot safer. That makes sense. So talk to me about the Money Healing Club. This has been the best, wildest ride. So I do one-on-one work as both a therapist and a coach. So I work with people everywhere. And one of my coaching clients about a year ago did great work together. and. As we were closing our work together, she was like, so I've started a membership. <laughs> she was basically, this work has been so incredible for me. I've been sharing it on TikTok. It's really blown up. She was already like very savvy in like social media spheres and stuff. And, but she really was just using it as a journal to share about the stuff that she was re- realizing herself, that it like wasn't just about the money. It was about everything. And mm-hmm. that starting to work on the money stuff like reverberate into all these other aspects of her life, which I see time and time again. And so she invited me to co-create this membership with her. And she already had it. It was going, she had some ideas and some framework around it, but it was a very unusual ask. And as a therapist, there's like a lot of rules about how we can relate to our clients. But she was a, I won't say, she was a coaching client. So there's some flexibility there. And I said, okay. I said, why not? Also, not just why not? It was, yeah, I feel constrained by just working one-on-one. I feel like this is like such important work. This can go to more people and it really should. And if I just keep doing one-on-ones, it's not getting the biggest reach that it really ought to have. And yeah, so we co-host this membership. It's called the Money Healing Club. 
and it's a closed sort of, it's on its own app. So it's really nice. It's not like a Facebook group. It's not anything like that. People can be, it's a little more private in that way. And month to month, you can cancel any time. And the main, I think, offer is every Tuesday night, we have a live group and we have a rotating list of topics. So every month we have uh, some mental health topic. We do a book club, like different either money or mental health books. We kind of have open Q&A, just hangs. Those end up being really interesting because it goes wherever people need it to go. And then also I get to bring in my art therapy training. We do an art therapy every month, which people really love. And we record those, we put them up, but really coming to the lives, like that's where the, that's where the real growth and healing happens. And then within the club, I articles we have great conversations and people ask for help like just the other day someone's like, moving is so expensive i have to move and can we just like brainstorm like how can i make moving less expensive just this like practical standpoint too or just really emotional like i have 15 packages coming for amazon tomorrow i don't even know what i ordered i am in a dark spiral right now and we really circle around everyone and that's coming to the point where it's not just me and sia leading this or responding now, you know, we're really getting a crew of people who really hop in. Here's this work for me or have you tried this? And it's so supportive. It really is open to everyone, but the people who seem to really resonate with is women and it's the land when it comes mm-hmm. to money. And I think there are a lot of people who are on the club who haven't necessarily contributed or come to the lives, but I think just being part of it and watching this stuff happening, you know, maybe they're feeling shy. But I think we're still getting a lot out of it. Like we're getting tremendous feedback from it. And that it's not a linear process, right? We have a roadmap, but it's not step one, do this, step two, do that, because we don't know where you're at. Step one might not have anything to do with you. And I see it as a pendulum swinging where, okay, we've got this emotional stuff and we have some practical stuff. So we kind of get into some of the emotions of it, like regulating, like we said, maybe mental health topics, that kind of thing. And then you start feeling better. And then you swing over to the practical side. And then, hey, I downloaded an app and I actually really like it. Yeah. Now I'm ready to go deeper. And then the pendulum swings back. Oh, now I can really talk about how my dad has been really critical of me. Okay, then I'm going to work through that. And then, oh, look at me. I watched myself walk through Target and only buy something on my list. But like, I just, and it starts kicking off this swinging back and forth where we take care of some practical stuff and you start feeling really empowered and then you can go even deeper with the healing. And it, so it's just, it's just non-linear. I don't see it as a linear process. It's just, it's, I feel like it's a playground for me. Not that it's light, but it's just, it feels so good. It feels like play and that it's really connective. And Asiya and I can also be really improvisational. Like mm-hmm. we've experimented with things. We've experimented, oh, throwing out the, that event didn't take. Asking people what they want. It's very iterative, which feels really organic and exciting. And I think, you know, it just began at the beginning of 2023. So it's just going to keep changing and growing and adapting to what people really need. Yeah. And I think it's, I actually think it's great that you are co-leading it. Because I feel like that's one of the things that I've seen. And you're talking about social justice work that it's always helpful for people to even just start with the awareness that even the folks that are engaging they're different. They have different experiences. Like, and that, yeah, I feel like that really creates more of a comfort with people understanding. No one's here saying they've got it together. This isn't that story. Exactly. And I think, yeah, I love it too, because in a way, my, my co-host is even more in touch with what the people are needing because she's a bit more one of them, like a little bit more on the other side of this. And 
but I've been there. I do get it, but I'm not there now. So it's a, we're such a good balance for each other because she can, she just has a real talent also of just listening to what other people need. And then her business savvy is she's just able to really shift it and try new things and stuff like that. And, and then I can show up at a really grounding place because I do think yeah, I'm all about really being mindful of power dynamics. And also some people also want someone who feels a little, you know what you're doing, right? You want a grounded person. And so then I'm able to provide that. And it's fantastic. It's, it's like, it's really great. I would love, and in so many ways, like we're reaching so many more people. We're about, at about 80 members right now. We're adding new members every week. We're really hoping this can grow and bringing in guest speakers, actually. I'm bringing in some of my therapy friends to run some of these groups. It's and that honestly is super affordable price. We want this to be more of like a bigger thing. It's, I have a lot of, I just have a lot of energy for it. And the feedback we're getting is just like tremendous. People are saying like, this has been, I've tried everything. I've tried regular therapy. I've read the books. I've got, all I've come out with it is that I feel terrible about myself. <laughs> so those, we're here for you. Those are the people we want to come here. Bring it in. Oh, you get a free budgeting dashboard. It's just a Google sheet just to get it start, lay it out there. And then it's an easy sheet you can share with people. Just lay out what is happening with my finances. And I really recommend that before launching into an app because no app is perfect. So just kind of start with a spreadsheet. It just lays it out visually. And then maybe you can get into using app and stuff like that. And we're adding resources all the time. Oh, I will say then I do like little mini lessons based on what people are talking about. Or I'll just do a, just a short video. Here's what I'm learning about. Here's some credit card payoffs ideas. Or here's an art therapy regulation exercise. So I'm tossing those and it's just like little bite-sized things within the community. So it's going to keep growing. I mean, we'll see where it goes from here. That's great. What would you say success looks like to you? Oh, gosh. I don't know. That I feel like that's changing all the time. What does success look like for me? I think where I can continue to grow in this work and have a greater and greater reach and at the same time feel really resourced myself, where I have the resources where I'm not going to get burned out, where I have time for myself, where, where I can let myself ebb and flow, where I don't have to be on all the time. I mean, this is what's great about working as a therapist. It's one of the only professions you can do super meaningful work part-time. Not that I want to work part-time, but it can ebb and flow. And I do really, I really appreciate that because I need that. I'm a, I'm a highly sensitive person. Mm-hmm. So like success doesn't necessarily, I would love for success to not mean a grind. And, yeah. And then I can... Because the therapist is only a good therapist when they're resourced, mm-hmm. they're burned out. It's actually it's super unethical for a therapist to get burned out because you, you don't have that much to give. And you, you, it's hard to attune to people when you're burned out. So it's just, if I can continue this and deepen this and listen to people, honestly, everything I've said in this podcast are things that I have spurred and been reflected from my clients. Mm-hmm. You know, some of it I've read, but it's like, if I can just keep these conversations and having these realizations synthesizing it and then synthesizing it, putting it back out. And that causes more realization and more growth. It's just this like fantastic iterative process. So if I can keep doing that and be personally resourced, that feels very successful to me. I think it sounds great. I'm excited that you're going to grow 
because it just, it's such a need. And there's so many people who are aware they need that support and guidance. And by making it accessible, like, then they, the people that most need it have the highest likelihood of being able to opt in. That's exactly it. We do a free trial. It's, you know, really, we're trying to make it at such a comfortable price point. It's not going to be one of these <laughs> online courses or community that's like more expensive and then you never use it. That's just absolutely not what we want. We really want. This stuff just happens in community when you feel safe with people and talking about the stuff that has some shame. Just the growth just starts happening and and it's not all up enough, right? Sometimes like in therapy, things get worse before they get better. <laughs> when you start realizing stuff, oh, all that stuff I've been avoiding, I'm not avoiding it anymore. And wow, this is hard. Excuse me. But when you're with a loving group, that it's great. And I will say it's it's not a substitute for therapy. It really is more of a peer support and education group. Yeah. But people do really heal from the experience. It's an awesome add-on for people who are in therapy. <laughs> Because therapists don't really, aren't trained to bring in money stuff. So both with my one-on-ones and with this club, oh, it's like really a nice like layer or add-on to someone who's in their own therapy. That's awesome. Let's see. Uh, can you tell me about advice you've received that you feel has influenced the way that you approach your work? Yeah. From another financial coach. The advice is very simple. Start messy. That's it. I, I think about that all the time when, oh, this thing really needs to get together. I need to really think through this first. There's times where you want to clarify something in your head, but we're at such an age where you can just throw spaghetti on the wall. Mm-hmm. I am just really leaning into that. And so Start Messy is, I think, some of the best advice I've received lately in the last few years. I get that analysis paralysis is no joke. You can spend a lot of time trying to anticipate all the things and you won't get them all. That's the other part. Like you just won't. Absolutely. <laughs> so for folks who are listening, I'm sure there's going to be at least one person who says, wow, I could use some financial therapy or I want to join the Money Healing Club. How do they follow you, find you, get on board? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. For my work, it's at racheldunkantherapy.com and the Money Healing Club is themoneyhealingclub.com. Those would probably be the best spots to go and all the socials are linked there. I recently started doing TikTok, which is talk about starting messy. <laughs> that has been just like really fun and actually has helped me, I think, refine what I'm talking about. And so I'm at the money therapist at TikTok. I'm, I, I love TikTok. I know it's, it has its issues, but I, it I enjoy it. I feel like I learned so much from and from different perspectives and views in a way yeah. that I love the access. It's like podcasting now. At any rate, thank you so much for joining us and talking about what you're up to. I really hope that folks who are listening will take a chance to check it out because it it sounds like something, honestly, everyone I know could benefit from. And not no shade to anybody. Just I think we all know where we live, what our culture is, and it's just that's the thing we're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the collective unconscious. Yeah. I Definitely. And just like with what we've gone through in the last few years, this stuff is collectively like we do need to heal from the last few years and what it's done to us all the police. So we welcome everyone, anyone. Hit me up. I love talking about this stuff. And thank you so much for inviting me. It's been such a treat. Okay. Thank you. Bye, everybody. All right.